0: Welcome to episode seven of the In the Name of Service podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Here we broadcast stories of men and women who've answered the call to serve in hopes of inspiring and catalyzing the rest of us to follow suit in our own way. Today's interview is with Brandon Wood. Brandon is a husband, father, special operations veteran, and associate pastor. I had the great opportunity to work alongside Brandon for a few years in our previous positions. He's insightful, caring, generous and humble. I witnessed, personally, how he held up and supported so many men and women in our unit when we lost one of our own. His character was a bright light in a very dark place. In today's conversation, Brandon takes us through his own path of service, highlighting some of the extreme pain, heartache, and brokenness he has experienced. Have you ever hit so many obstacles you question if you're heading on the right path? This is the conversation you may need to hear today. If you've ever felt like you're going through hardship disqualifies you from making a mighty impact in the world around you, you'll be encouraged by Brandon's story. His life is proof that brokenness may just be the thing that best equips you for the healing that comes through serving others. I hope this conversation holds you up on your journey today and that Brandon's words help bring you peace. For more information on Personnel Rescue, CSAR, the SOCOM Care Coalition, and how to stay in touch with Brandon, be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you for listening. Okay, Brandon, welcome to Or Woody. Can I still call you that? You
1: sure can. Okay. Welcome (laughs) to the
0: In the Name of Service podcast. We appreciate you being here. I do. And can't wait for everyone to hear from you. First, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Okay. So um, I'm Brandon Wood. I am a pastor. I'm an associate pastor at Aberdeen First Baptist Church in Aberdeen, North Carolina uh, now. And I previously served in the military for 20 years um, as a pararescueman. Before that, I was, I was raised here in North Carolina, uh, right down the road in Rockingham, North Carolina, close to Fort Bragg. And uh, so I just, I grew up there um, and played a lot of sports. I was a baseball player growing up. Um, I grew up in a, a pastoral home. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a school teacher. I just had a normal life uh, Kind of a you know middle lower lower class kind of uh, upbringing. So I, I went through school and uh, finished high school at Richmond Senior High, and like I said, I was a baseball player. And I left Richmond Senior High and went to the University of North Carolina at Pembroke to play baseball. I spent a very short period of time at Pembroke. I was there for about about a semester and just began to, I was exhausted. I had been playing baseball my whole life. School was difficult for me. I was not living on campus. I was actually living in Richmond County and still commuting and trying to, really just to kind of save money for my family. And ultimately I just, I got overwhelmed and I was exhausted. So I quit school and I would say around the same time that all this was going on, I was beginning to kind of have a desire for the military. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was raised not in a military home, but a very pro-military home. And my grandparents had served in the military. My grandfather was in World War II in the Navy.
0: And even in our
1: area, so just being from Richmond County and kind of around the surrounding area, I saw a lot of military people. I right. uh, got to know a lot of military guys. Just started having kind of a desire to to serve. So I left school. I went to just just normal kind of a, a everyday job for a little while. Worked in a parts department in, in a, a GM store in Richmond County, and was just kind of working through the process of going into the military. You know, I I um, I thought a lot about the military, but I really was not. It wasn't like a patriotic you know zeal to join. Yeah. But what kind of led me there was I, I just I really just kind of wanted to to get away i wanted to go experience something else i was involved in things that i I definitely shouldn't have been involved in and the the friend group that i was associated with was not the best for me and i just began to realize like if i don't get out of here if i don't go do something different then it could end poorly right (laughs) so yeah yeah um so yeah then joined the military like i said and and uh really the rest was history. After that, I began as a security forces uh, guy.
0: I didn't know that about Um, you.
1: Yep. Yep. So I was a, I was in security forces for about four years before I retrained in the pararescue. Um, and honestly, that's a a big part of my story and what kind of led me to pararescue. So I was stationed, um, at the 820th Security Forces Squadron in Valdosta, Georgia at Moody Air Force Base. And there was a pararescue squadron there. Um, so I got to know a lot of those guys through our Airman Leadership School. Yeah. And just really began to pursue and think about what who they were and and what they did. And you know, I it's, it's interesting because when I kind of determined this is what I wanted to do, I couldn't swim. <laughs> like i could i, I was could just thinking that it. could you already swim yeah. really well no 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 not at all so i could kind of you know i could doggy paddle and make it from one side of the pool to the other but could not swim at all so i bought a book called total immersion and i just started working like i started grinding trying to figure out how to swim and and to try to make it a reality and then so i was working through those things and i was still deploying as a security forces guy so i would in 2005 we, Deployed to Iraq, yeah. and the this was another kind of like yeah this is this is a definite now I need to do this. But we were on a mission one day, and we did uh, during this period we were doing like outside the wire kind of infantry type work, air base defense, but active air base defense. So we were going out doing patrols and and just different things like that. And there was a a, a day where there was an army unit, an adjacent unit who hit an ID. Mm and we were, um, we were in an, an adjacent village uh, working, and we were actually doing uh, what's called a med cap. So basically we were in that village, and we had a PA with us, and he was there just doing medical treatment for, for some of the locals and uh, seeing patients. So we got this call on the radio, and we ended up responding. So we responded to help pull security at the site and this PA was able to respond and the, the army unit didn't have a medic with them. Hmm. Um, it, it was a, it was an interesting time. And, but anyway, they didn't have a medic with them. So they re- nobody. It was like, we came up to this guy who was injured from an IED blast and nobody knew what to do. Right. And then, you know, I see this PA, he, he gets down and he's putting tourniquets on this guy and treating him and. In my mind, I was like, you know what, like I want to learn how to do that. I want to be able to learn how to, if somebody's injured, I want to be able to learn how to help them, um, help them get back home to their families. And that was kind of a a, a big change. So um, I get back from that deployment and then I just really begin begin to pursue pararescue. I was training every day. Um, I was swimming two hours in the morning, so the pool was open for two hours in the morning, two hours at lunch, and then two hours uh, for free swim in the afternoon. So I was spending somewhere close to six hours a, a a day, five days a week, just trying to learn how to swim. Wow! And it almost and finally, doesn't seem possible.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it, was,
1: it it was insane. Yeah, it was an insane period. But yeah, it was you know that was it was an overwhelming desire, and ultimately, it was I, I know that it was God. He was he was really calling me to to this position and Mm -hmm. and to this type of work so yeah
0: and you didn't stop there because when I met you you were at the most elite Air Force ground unit so you had not only put yourself through the kind of original assessment gone through everything all the training what is it like about two years Brandon for yeah yeah so
1: for so for a normal case two years (laughs) mine took more like about three and this is you know this is important to my story as well so during during the pipeline so i had made it through the indoctrination course which is kind of our selection course and i went to military free fall school and seer before i ever went to dive school that's kind of a hard way to do the course because the underwater training and the 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 training in the pool that you do at in really is Kind of pre scuba and preparation for scuba school. Right. So I showed up to school scuba school, and man, I was I was out of shape. I was not prepared because it was just to me it was just physically impossible. As a retrainee, I went back to my own, uh, to my unit, to my security forces unit.
0: Oh wow! And had to go
1: to work every day. Yeah. um, In between courses, so it was almost impossible for me to be able to keep up that level of training. To be prepared for the rigors of dive school which is i mean it's it's probably the yeah. hardest thing i've ever done I, I went to army ranger school as a security forces guy no way and
0: people well, that's yeah cool. and pe-
1: yeah and people people ask me like what would you rather do you know dive school's like four weeks and you get to go home at night and all that kind of stuff and eat good food and i don't know i'd probably rather go back and do ranger school <laughs> i don't know but uh <laughs> But yeah, so, so during that dive school time frame, there there was more to it than just kind of being out of shape. So the first class I was in, I made it through our pool week. I got a call that my wife was going to be going to have an emergency surgery. And at that point I found out that she was, she had been diagnosed with cancer oh. and um, she had thyroid cancer. And so, you know, I told the cadre, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going home. I need to, To be there for my wife so so i ended up leaving the course at that point and going home and so that was that was kind of that led me kind of into having to do the course again yeah i was able to come home and 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 fortunately leah is doing she's doing very very well now she she's had um, a couple bouts with cancer but she's in remission and doing very well but anyway so after that experience at dive school i ended up going back and the next time i go I'm there and I'm just having, I'm in the pool during pool week again. And I'm just having a ton of trouble with my, like I was getting dizzy and kind of disoriented and stuff. So (laughs) I end up one day saying like, Hey, something's wrong. And they end up taking me to a doctor there and I had an MRI and they found a growth in my sphenoid sinus.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Um, Yeah. So this, so this growth was like, it was messing with me when I was trying to dive and thankfully they found it before I, I did like the deep dive and stuff, which that could have been a big problem.
0: Yeah. So anyway,
1: I ended up coming back to to Moody Air Force Base, reporting back to the eight twentieth and while I was there, it was it was ext- I had surgery, so they removed it, they fixed the deviated septum and a lot of stuff. And then I had tons of trouble getting back into the program, getting somebody to give me a waiver to get back into pararescue. Mm-hmm. So ultimately I did get a a waiver and I was able to, to pursue going back. Um, so at this point I'd been out of the training pipeline for so long, I had to go back to, to Medina, to, to the schoolhouse, the pararescue schoolhouse, go through a pre-scuba course. So I did this pre-scuba week and, and this is, this is the point of my story where, um, I mean, my wife's diagnosed with cancer is a big part of my story, but this, this next portion is kind of like where everything changed so when I was in Medina um, it was a Friday and so I'll never forget I, I looked at my phone I saw that my little brother was calling me yeah and I threw the phone down and went to to get into the shower and uh I just said you know I got to get ready because there are people waiting on me we're going to eat we're going to hang out or whatever so by the time I got back out of the shower I had like I don't know 15 missed calls oh no yeah and um my wife finally, um, gets in touch with me and, you know, she, she gave me kind of the news that the hardest news I'd ever heard in my whole life that, um, my youngest brother, Trenton, that he had taken his own life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, um, so that was a, it it was a definitely a terrible, terrible time for me. And, uh, I definitely had to step back and, and I, I didn't end up going to dive school. Of course, right after that, I came home to, to be with my family and to, um, you know, to, to mourn and, and all the things that goes along with that. You know, after after that, I was able to get back to dive school and, and finally graduated. And so my pipeline was a little longer than everybody else's. But, yeah, and a lot, and a lot. It was a lot to go through during those periods. And, and I this is another very important thing. During that period, especially during the, you know, all the different, like, I, I'm not making it through dive school i'm having to wait my bro my wife gets that di- gets diagnosed with cancer my brother um passing away i just began to question it all right you know, am i supposed to be doing this right like i don't know if i'm supposed to be doing this at all
0: like um, it's a pretty jagged path at this point
1: yeah yeah and, and i and you know i was thinking I, I was i'm the oldest son and there was a lot within me that was saying like you need to go home like you need to be there for your family Mm -hmm. and different things like that so so yeah it was it was definitely a a difficult path to get through pararescue and then like you said the uh you know the getting to the the unit to the to the pinnacle of right of pararescue you know that to me, I was, I was at Moody Air Force. I went back to Moody Air Force Base, actually to the 38th Rescue Squadron as a pararescuement, which was awesome um, (laughs) to go back and, and to be with the, some of the people who had helped me like train and equip me to, to go through, uh, the pipeline.
0: Yeah, so And
1: so I'm there and I had only been there a few years. Matt Wells, who was the chief at the time, he called me into his office one day and he said, Brandon, he said like, I know that you're interested in going to the 724th. And he said, you're like really hot to get overseas orders. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you don't go now, like you're probably going to get overseas. And then you have a period of time once you get overseas before you can ever come back and, and even assess and try. So he said, let's, if you feel like you can go and try now, then now is the time to do it. So he made a call. He he uh, called he called Cz and uh, <laughs> talked to him. And basically, uh, they scheduled a time for me and one other um, operator to come up and to, to assess. Just two of us. Oh wow! Mm. It was a whole it was a whole different you know process that we went through
0: mm-hmm.
1: than what the guys go through now. So we came up and assessed together, and and yeah, got got
0: selected. That and may have been a little through, tougher. There's only two of you to look at, you know. Yeah,
1: the it, pressure it was, spread it was, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was interesting. It was an interesting time. So, so you did that. It was interesting back then. So you'd come up and do the do a short assessment, and I think they were just seeing trainability, sure, um, and kind of where you were at that point. And then they would move you. They would PCS you and your family here before you ever even you know went through selection.
0: Right. So it was kind
1: of an a, interesting period. It was risky. Yeah, uh, There was a lot of risk involved with trying to come and pursue this place. And I think that was one of the reasons why a lot of guys didn't do it back yeah. then. It was just
0: risky. Right. Yeah, especially yeah. if you have a family. It's hard. It's hard right. To, it's easy to put yourself at risk, I think, for right. a lot of you guys, but not necessarily your family. So... Well, now kind of being on the other side of all this amazing amazing work that you got to do in the military, what do you think stands out as your most meaningful experience during your Air Force service?
1: There's quite a few things, but I would say the most meaningful experience was being able to be a team leader at the unit here. Yeah, To me, like it was everything I'd ever dreamed of and everything I'd ever worked towards uh, to be able to come here and lead this caliber of... Of men, this, just just being here at the unit was a was an extreme highlight for me, you know. And and also, I have one mission that kind of was a is a highlight. So when I was stationed at the thirty eighth, we were deployed, we were at Kandahar, and we were flying personnel recovery, CSAR kind of mission set mm-hmm. during that time frame with with the Pedro um, aircraft. And um, there was one mission one day where we you know we flew out and it was it was kind of a basic mission to begin with. We were flying out to go pick up a person who was injured. And I I think it was even like maybe a fob to fob transfer. So it was just like going to another base and picking a patient up and coming back to the higher level of care. And while we were in route, like while we were flying over, we saw like we, we you know, visibly saw an IED go off. Mm -hmm. Um, and you could see that there were a group of people on the ground. So we immediately like re-rolled and, uh, and landed at the point of, of injury. And so that moment, these were Air Force EOD guys. Mm. And so it was, it was extremely real because they were wearing the same exact uniform we wear, you know, right. like, oh, and yeah. you know, we have different kind of different u- uniforms between the branches and the, uh, they were wearing the same uniforms we do. They, and we picked up these guys and it was a tragic scene. Um, there were numerous people that lost their lives but i was able to on that mission really put my training into to action one of the guys he was he he had uh pretty crazy facial injuries and it had kind of dislocated his airway Mm
0: -hmm. so he
1: he couldn't breathe he was he was really struggling to breathe so i was able to crike him and um, perform kind of you know life-saving intervention and that was the first time that I was able to be a part of saving a person's life. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And that, and that really, you know, that, that was kind of a, a very important moment in my pararescue career.
0: All that work put to good use. Yeah. 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 Well, tell us about your transition from the military into ministry. So
1: about five years before I separated, we were on a training trip to Wyoming, and we were doing a lead climbing course. And I was lead climbing, and I fell, and I broke both of my feet. Oh, um, yeah! At the same time, broke both of my feet. During that moment, it was really interesting because my identity was really wrapped up in being a in being a pararescueman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I identified like I'd worked so hard to be. Uh, a special operator and my identity was so wrapped up in this so I fell and I hurt myself and it was almost like it was taken away in an instant right I still operated for for quite a few years after that and then went to the debt and and taught our operator training course and led there but but it was almost like all this that I'd worked for kind of had come to an end because I was never truly physically the same
0: Mm -hmm. anymore Mm-hmm.
1: It was like when we were out on training missions and, and on missions, it was like I was just, just hanging on, you know, and, and it came at a great cost physically, mentally, um, emotionally, you know. So anyway, during that period, though, it was it was like God began to take this idol right, in my life, and it was like he began to just kind of take it away in an instant. Mm. And I was already at that point kind of toying with the notion of ministry, I'd started school um, at Liberty uh, University and I was working on a biblical studies degree and, you know, I was kind of just toying with the idea. But it was during that period, I had, you know, a lot of highs and lows and it was during that period though, that I really began to see the guy was, was uh, calling me, you know, to, to mm-hmm. full time vocational ministry. I had no idea what that looked like though. Um, <laughs> it it you just don't know. I mean, I, I had never even like truly thought about what it would look like post military life, but it was really it was really amazing too to watch how God worked in, in that situation. So after that, I came off the tactical teams. I went to the debt, um, and while I was at the debt, this this job at the church where I am now it opened up, and it was interesting because we were we were at an event at the church that we attended. Mm-hmm. at the time. And the the former pastor was there and he came up to me and he said, you know, there's this this position at this other church and I think you it would be perfect for you. I think you should pursue it. I think you should think about it. And I remember getting in the car and, and talking to my wife and saying, you know, this would be awesome, but it's impossible.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just impossible because of the timeline. Right. You know, like the timeline just didn't add up through just a, a lot of different events and, and different things, the time did line up. I was able to begin to work part-time here. Mm-hmm. And then following working part-time, I was able to do an internship here through the SOCOM Care Coalition. So the last like six months of my military service, I interned here at the church, you know, while kind of still working some of the debt during that period in transition. But I was able to come here and work, and once I finished working here during that period, I came on full time right as I right as I got out of the military. Yeah. So it was just interesting that what I thought could never happen. You know, like <laughs> and I think about that often. Like you know, I can't ever tell God that this can't work or that can't happen because he can he can move mountains.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You go from one form of service to another, what has the sacrifice looked like for you and your family throughout the military and ministry service? I mean, typically you're kind of giving up one thing to, to put yourself into another. So I'm just curious about that.
1: I would say every, every type of service comes with sacrifice. Um, it has to, the, the military, I was gone so much, Mm-hmm. Um and I think that was the biggest sacrifice. Leah and I, you know, we we sat down and and kinda have talked about how much I was gone in the past and it, it was constant. I mean we right. were two hundred days, you know, there were there were years where it was closer to three hundred days. Yeah. Um, in a year being gone for many, many years. And uh so time away from my family, um and as my kids started getting a little Um, older, that really just began, you know, it began to be a, it just got harder and harder
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, to be away. So, so definitely time, time away from family, time away from kids. You have to sacrifice things that, that are normal to a lot of people. You know, at the unit, we were on alert and stuff. So you couldn't be without a certain time of response back to the unit if something was to happen. So that also was a sacrifice and stuff like that happened often. You'd be you know, live a normal life and then have to leave. Right. Uh, so that was definitely a sacrifice. And then, you know, ministry uh, as well. You know, a lot of times you, you have to respond to crisis that yes. other people are going through. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a part of the job. and It's a part of the job that we love. Mm-hmm. You know, sa- I would mm-hmm. say the same thing with the, with the military, right? Mm-hmm. It's deploying and, and, and training and all those things. That's what you love and, and you're doing your job and you're doing what you have to, what you want to do and what you have to do, but it comes at a cost and the same with ministry. So a lot of times you're responding to needs. I can think specifically about an instance like, you know, on the 4th of July, you know, we're having a 4th of July party and we're, you know, swimming and having a good time. And then, you know, in a moment you, right. you have to leave right. um, and, and go respond. And you want to, I mean, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor and to be there for the sheep that God has entrusted here in this congregation to me. And so you want to be there. Mm -hmm. You you feel like you need to be there. You feel like God has equipped you to be there. So it's, so it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of balance, but that's, that's something too, though, that I think is, is so important, you know, recognizing that it always comes at a cost and then how do you balance those you, you have to, you have to have balance. You have to have order, mm-hmm. um, in your life and you have to make sure that you prioritize certain things. You got to prioritize your faith, then your family, you know, then, um, everything else after that. Cause if your faith is not right and your family's not right, then you really can't respond in any meaningful way, uh, to circumstances in other people's lives.
0: Yeah. Has there ever yeah. been a moment in time when it was becoming overwhelming where you thought maybe the investment wasn't worth it?
1: Um, the military, definitely.
0: Um, yeah.
1: You know, there were there were periods where you, you really, kind of around the 10-year mark, I think every person kind of like, is like, is it worth it? Because if I go past 10, I'm going to do 20 because mm. <laughs> most, most guys do that. If they right. go past 10, they're doing 20. Um, but up to that 10-year mark, you're kind of like, you know, if I still – can potentially leave or whatever. So I would say at that point, we really count had to count the cost. Yes. And there were moments in time where Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely thought about giving up throwing in the towel and, and trying to find something easier to do. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's a nice and, thought and, when
0: you're, you know, suffering, yeah. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And, and the, I would say the the ministry, it's a little different because, you know, I, I have not overwhelming desire. That's what the Bible says. If you desire, if you have the desire or aspire to the office of overseer, then you aspire to a good work. So I have the overwhelming desire to pastor and to, to, um, to serve in this capacity in the local church. So even when it's hard, um, and even when there's highs and lows, I think that my call is always there. Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea of leaving ministry, I, no, I, I really don't ever foresee me leaving ministry. I, I think I will be preaching, uh, teaching people the Bible, you know, for the rest of my life. But there ha- you know, there there are times in ministry where you have to discern maybe what's next. Yeah. Or are you? have you been just being equipped and trained where you are for the next thing just thinking through all those things is it, kind of it's kind of a difficult difficult thing to discern so I, I don't think with ministry there's ever really been a desire to to hang it up i just don't think i can <laughs> hang it up yeah
0: well yeah i mean it's so it sounds like for you uh, the strong desire does it just keeps you motivated right to do the work What would you say, just practically speaking, like who or what? Are there specific things that you remind yourself of? Are there specific people that kind of check you on if the balance is off just to help you kind of, you know, maintain the course?
1: Yeah, my my wife, she's my my partner in ministry. Um, She's my rock. She has been, (laughs) she stood with me through so many things. Uh, We went through so much, you know, talking earlier about all the things we went through. We've gone through so much together that we have, um, I think, very healthy communication. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, I think that that was the key to um, our success as a military couple. Yeah. As we just communicated. So she has always driven me. So I think back to you know when I was talking about my my brother passing away and yes. um, um and 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 almost coming to a point then where I was thinking about quitting pararescue and coming home and trying to f- figure out like what I was supposed to be doing. She pushed me then. Like, she really <laughs> pushed me and said, "No, you'll regret it if you if you quit." Yeah. Um. And, and, and I would have, so she, she pushed me in that moment. And she's always like, we, she holds me accountable. We are team and everything, you know, every decision that we make, we, we seek to make those together. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's been my, my rock. She's helped me continue at every point throughout all of this.
0: Yeah. It sounds like the, um, the strong desire. She's got a little bit of her own too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely
0: what kind of advice do you have for people out there of any age and any specialty that may feel this similar call to serve but they don't know like how to start well
1: I think first it's it's you know praying for guidance seeking guidance from God and you know I think utilizing your giftedness is is so important like each individual person, has been uniquely gifted in some way. And I think if we will look at ourselves and see what that truly is, and we'll pursue that, then I don't think you can ever go wrong in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think over time, your your thought about serving or, or what you're doing might change or shift or whatever, but I think ultimately just utilizing what God has blessed you with, the skills, the giftedness that He's blessed you with, And and then also just being willing to work, you know, in the beginning, I talked about um, having to learn how to swim. Yes. And I think, you know, you you have to, there might come a point where you feel led to something, but you don't feel prepared. Right. Um, So you have to work, Um, you have to work to, to prepare yourself for, for service. But I just, another, you know, another very important thing is about service in particular is that it's so healing Mm. Um, it is such a healing thing to serve so if a person has gone through a lot of hardship Mm -hmm. um, um, looking back on my path there was a lot of pain and, and heartache and brokenness and and just hardship you know I see now that that all of that was was working in me this desire to serve it was it was growing this desire to serve because um, there's a guy, Steve Lawson, who, he's a pastor, and I, I love listening to him preach. But one of the things he said is, is, for God to use a man greatly, he has to break a man greatly. Oh, wow. And I see a lot of times that like, people who have been broken, people who have gone through hardship, um, tend to serve. And I think that as you continue with this podcast, you're going to see that more and more in yeah. people. Definitely. Um, that there's been a lot of brokenness that has led to service. And service is so healing. Healing through service is one of the, the phrases that, that I say a lot and I, and I truly believe in. Ultimately, like you and I have talked about before, but mm-hmm. ultimately it's it's we all have this desire to be at peace um, and to, to have rest in our lives and to have meaning. Yes, and I think, first off, there's only one true source of that peace, and, and I believe that's Jesus Christ. And I do believe, you know, as, as people navigate this world and, and as they sense that they're broken and their need for, you know, forgiveness, that um, ultimately, you know, coming to Jesus with faith, with a heart of repentance, the freedom that comes along with that, mm-hmm. um, that's, the, that's the first step towards freedom. But then also, I would say, out of a heart of service and serving the the greater good, there's 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 healing there as well. There's it's an addition to that the true healing that you find in Christ.
0: And that yeah. can be done anywhere. Like you could start oh, today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, that's that's a uh, you can start right now where you are. Right. You know, if,
0: yeah. Definitely. Agreed. No special. Uh, you don't need to swim. <laughs> nope. You don't need to swim you don't have to learn how to swim you you don't need any special degrees um or background yeah no not at
1: all awesome yeah i love i love the uh know the passage of scripture come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest and i've seen that i've seen that rest given to people when they come to to jesus just rest and and peace and hope that that really can't be found anywhere else
0: well, I think that's the mic drop and, um, mic drop. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for spending yeah. some time to have this conversation and thanks Absolutely. for all you've done and all you continue to do. You know, you wanted to travel the world and you did, but you also came yeah. right back to North Carolina. So
1: <laughs> I did. I did. I spent most of my military career in either Georgia or North Carolina. So best of both worlds, I
0: guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, thanks, Brandon.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate what you're doing because I think that this is so important for people who are contemplating service to be able to just to hear these stories.
0: I hope so.